we are continuing. Thank you for all of you that served last week. We had served Sunday last week. We're going to continue our, our study through the book of Matthew, and we're in um, the second coming of Christ in this, in this end section. But before we get there, um, I want to tell you a little story about uh, Jen. This actually has nothing to do with Mother's Day, although she is mother's a mom. Either way, you get it, right? Um, so Jen is one of those women that when, when having children, they come out fairly quickly, okay? So sorry for the visual aid. They come out running, you know? Like, I mean, so it's like, that just happens. Well, I remember us trying to create a space. Okay, let's be ready for this because we don't know how it's going to happen. And so I have meetings. I work at different times. So I remember telling Jen, okay, Jen, here's what we're going to do. I need you to, to just text me 911 when you go into labor. So that way I know, like, that's the, all like, go. Like, don't do anything else. Like, go and, and make sure that happens. And so I told her to text 911. In fact, I created a draft for her. So all she had to do was hit send on the draft. So it's was like, let's just make this as, as quick as, and amazing. And like, we're going to be awesome at this. And then I would go to every single meeting, kind of the last four weeks before she was due. And I would go to every single meeting saying, hey, I'm leaving my phone on. Just so you know, in case my wife texts me that she's going into labor, I'm going to have to leave quickly. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. Well, then you also, you got to remember, like, if you've ever had a kid, they tell you to, you know, pack a bag for the things that, you, that you're going to, you know, wear in the hospital when the baby comes. And so, so we packed this bag. And so I packed this one shirt that I like a lot, but now I can't wear for the next who knows how long because it's in the bag, right? Like just staring at me going, you can't wear me, whatever. That's, that's, anyways, so you pack yourself this bag. You get all sorts of ready. And I mean, we are... We're ready, right? Like, we are super, super ready. And, and every meeting I'm, I'm walking along, it's like every time my phone rings, I'm like, oh, no. Every text, it's like I'm so excited. And, and I go to this meeting, and um, apparently I put my phone on silent, okay? And so I went to the meeting saying, just so you know, I have to keep my phone on. Here's why, everything. Well, even when your phone's on silent, it'll still vibrate, but I, apparently I thought it would be wise to not hold my phone at all. So... I set it down, and I have this meeting at this person's house. I'm at the other end of town, and I go over at the end of the meeting. I'm like, oh, guys, so good. See you later. Thanks for hanging out. That was awesome. Great conversation. It was kind of a harder meeting, but like a good one. And I open my phone, and I look at my phone. I'm like, 911, 911, 911, and two missed phone calls. Now, you'd think in all of my preparation that that would mean like, oh, get out, right? No, this smart kid right here picks up the phone, dials, hey, Jen, what's going on? (laughs) She's like, what do you mean what's going on? I'm in labor. Like, this is for real? She's like, of course it's for real. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I zip over there, and we, we, you know, we get there. We make it to the hospital and fine. But as prepared as I thought I was, I was not really following through in my preparation and the way it actually worked out for us to, to, to operate in that preparation. So good news is I didn't miss the, the baby being born, um, and she was out, and everything's awesome. But um, it's interesting when you look at life and what it takes for us to be prepared for things. So, so this last few weeks, you guys, have college students, have been preparing for finals. Or some of you are like the last few days. We're talking about a few weeks. I don't, you know, <laughs> right? You've been you've been preparing, and so there's been this slow, steady preparation over the over the semester where you've where you've been studying and working and doing these things, and then you come to the end, and it's like you you do a lot more, and you you've prepared, and and the outcome is realistically, unless you're just a horrible like anxiety test taker, realistically the preparation shows in the outcome. Like in the outcome, you know, like, okay, I did, it didn't prepare as well as I, I should, or I, I could have prepared better, or I, you know, it didn't matter this grade because I already got the grade I wanted it, and I'm just graduating, who cares? Like, whatever it may be, you've, you've made the decision ahead of time on how it's going to lay out. Similarly, in, 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 in having a child, if, you've, if, you're, if you're pregnant and you know a kid's coming, well, then you, 
you, you, you prepare for things, and you start thinking about things. And some of you, it's like, man, I wasn't prepared for this at all, but, but, God, but God has brought this, and that's what it is. And some of you are like, man, I've been wanting to be prepared for this, and it didn't happen. And whatever happens when it comes to kids, you, you, you spend time. You prepare. You do your work. You pack a bag. You think about it. You get a room ready. You decide to decorate. You kind of you do that preparation. And, and ultimately, every parent will tell you that you're never really ready when the kid comes out, right? Like, you can be as prepared as you think you are, but you're never like, wow, that's exactly how I expected it to go. Like, it never happens that way. But there's still something to be said about preparation. And there's still something about natural, about each of us walking around, being prepared for what's next. And so some of you have been preparing your summer plans. Some of you have been preparing for a wedding. Right? You've got all these preparations that you're doing. Maybe it's a, a mission trip. Maybe it's a, there's just a number of things that you're, you're focusing in and preparing on. Well, what's unique is that I think that all of us are made and naturally desire to prepare for, prepare for things. Some of us get a little bit more anxious about that, right? We all know that, like, anxious prepare, right? And it's like, oh, man, steer clear. It's getting too close to the event, whatever it is. This person's crazy, right? Or there's the, the person that maybe doesn't take it seriously at all. Maybe there's someone that's just like, they should be more intent on preparing, but they're just not taking it seriously. Well, where we are in the scriptures today, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up, and the ushers will bring you one. But where we are in, in Matthew is, is it's a, it's a pivotal, pivotal paragraph that kind of works its way into what Jesus is, is, is been talking about. Remember, this, was, this section was all in regards to two questions that the disciples asked us. When is the temple's destruction going to happen, and when are the signs of your coming? When is the end times? Perusa is the word. Like, when is, when is that going to happen? So this, this answer that Jesus has been doing is in regards to those two questions. And as I've challenged you and, and shared with you along the way, there are a number of different beliefs depending upon where you land on what ist or ism belief that you have on what this actually means. So you can, you can look at it and say, well, if I believe this ism, then, then I think that the text says this. And if I believe this, then I think that the text says this. And all of them, at one point or another, have to take kind of a, a little leap to an answer. It's all of it's all well-meaning scholars trying to bring about clarity to what Jesus had said. Now, it's not that what Jesus had said is confusing. It's that what we, we now try to interpret what he's doing, and we've, we've kind of clouded it up. The, in this section right here, it's the turning point. Jesus has just talked about what it's going to look like. And he spends, he spends extensive time about all these different things. He talks about the temple destruction and then the persecution. And he, he lays all the way down. And as we've, as we've looked at it, is he, is he answering questions that are going to happen to this individual group of people standing in front of him or for his second coming? And it seems that he's, he's answering both questions along the way. It doesn't seem like he's, he's, he's just kind of blanketing it. And as he's answering those questions, as he's working through those questions, we try to decide, okay, what does this mean for his second coming? And the only thing that we are going to land on is that Jesus is coming back. Okay, that, that is, it is, he is coming back. There's a second coming that he will come. He will finish what he's already began. He will complete the work that he has promised to complete. And so that is going to happen. Now, how that happens, now, in which way that happens, that's where all of us kind of run to different, different paths. Now, this very first paragraph, there are, there's one word. This one word is where the tree branch goes on which belief you have. Okay, this one word is where you can go, okay, if you believe in, 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 in this ism or this ism or this ism or this ist or anything, it's all around this one very word. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that word. But again, as I've said, I feel like a lot of times the landmines in this that get people pretty, 
geeking out on, on the theology miss kind of the point of what Jesus is trying to communicate here. And as he's defined what's going to happen, he now makes us turn where he now says, okay, look me in the eyes. Truly I say to you, here's what's expected of you. So now he, he hits this section, and he does it through parables and a number of other things, which he's done in the past. Again, a, a parable is just a story to, be led a, a, to lay a side of truth. It's to bring out truth. And a parable, when it's defined, it was for, it was for the dis- disciples. A parable, when it's very vague, it's because he's teaching to a crowd of people that he's, he's concealing aspects of truth from. But parables are meant to be laid aside of truth. They're not in it in themselves truth. The parable isn't something that we need to pick apart every single detail and say, well, this and this and this, because it was just a, it's like this. It's, it's like that picture. It's a, it's a word picture, a metaphor. Thank you. Perfect. Um, so as we, as we look at these, he's going to talk specifically about what you and I are to do. Now, when I say you and I, I want to be really clear on this. And, I, and I've, I've said this since the beginning. I don't know every single one of you, and I don't know where you are in your walk. But when I say you and I, the, the conversation in this section right here with what Jesus is talking to is he's speaking very clearly to those that have surrendered their life to him, to believers, to those that will follow Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He does very clearly define what the others of those people, the people that would not surrender or have not surrendered to Christ, what their outcome could be. And so we're going to talk about both of those as well. But this is the turn where it goes from here's what's going to happen to here's what's expected of you. Okay, so let me pick up in verse, in chapter 24, verse uh, 32. This is kind of the ending of the, the week before. He says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become, it branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation, there's our word, this generation, those two words right there, will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So Jesus is saying some very bold and large statements. First off, he's saying that heavens and earth will pass away, but Jesus' truth will never, ever fade. He's saying, he's saying, what I'm saying today will never, ever go away. Right? So there's a, there's a confidence in that. But the word is this generation. Now, how do we define this generation? There's about one of seven ways, okay? <laughs> and really, really smart people way smarter than me, and spent a lot of time studying this, all different. This generation, that word geneo, it could be defined specifically in the New Testament. It's done 38 times. And in the New Testament, in the 38 times it's used, it's used specifically speaking to that present group. To that present group. Now, there is another way to say this. This generation could be talking to this generation, meaning the disciples, the church, the believers. This generation could be defined as the generation of the church as it's known in its Jewish uphold. Which again, if we're thinking about this, we, we know about us on the, on the further part of history, we know about A.D. 70 where, where um, Titus comes in and destroys the temple and, and all the Christians had fleed the Temple Mount, but all those that weren't Christians stayed in place and, and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews lost their life in that setting. So this generation could be specifically talking to the disciples saying, hey, you guys, you guys right here, this may not happen. Could be talking about the Jewish church as the temple will change. When Jesus ascends, the, the church no longer looks the same. Any of these things 
could work. You have to leap on a few of them. But what's most intriguing to me is that the 38 other times that this word is used in the New Testament speaking to that general group of people. So now, this is where the, um, the naysayers to Jesus come in. Well, obviously Jesus was wrong. Jesus must have been wrong because he said that this generation would experience all these incoming things. Then, then obviously he's wrong. And that's where the scholars have tried to bring out clarity. Now, if you read just a little bit further, and I'll come back to this, the next verse, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Now, but concerning seems to, seems to be like Jesus is saying, in the lesson of the fig tree, understand this. When a fig tree bears its leaves, it's summer. We, we all know this. When, when our trees are bringing out leaves right now, and it's beautiful, summer's coming, the flowers are going, everything's green. Well, we know, well, summer's here. It's not like in the middle of winter that stuff starts happening. So he's saying it's very clear as this time. So it could be that Jesus is talking about the things that are going to happen to this generation, to these followers right here, is what we already talked about a couple weeks ago. 80, 70 is going to happen. The, the church is going to be scattered and attacked and oppressed. And it could very well mean that it's in light to his second coming. Good news, class. I'm not going to answer it, okay? I don't know it. Um, I think you can land a number of different areas in this. What we are to know is, is a couple big things. First off, Jesus says very clearly that we'll see and understand the season that's coming. But then he goes right on in verse 36 and says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Now what's unique about that is that Jesus is, is claiming in some way, and this is something that we know Jesus is fully God and fully man as well at the same time when he's having this conversation. But we're seeing that there's a limit to what he does know of the Father. And that for us is really hard to navigate and really hard to understand. But ultimately, what Jesus says is that concerning the second coming of me, <laughs> no one knows but, but God. No one knows but God. And some people want to say that this is Jesus just kind of covering his tail. You know, like, oh, well, he made this, but then he's like, oh, but just in case it doesn't happen. That's not Jesus. He's, he is Lord. He is, he is fully God. He understands. He's saying specifically that he's not there. So how we identify or how we define this generation can affect our theology. So if you, if you really want to say that this generation is literal to this specific group of people and Jesus is speaking, he says all these things, he doesn't say which things, all those things that are happening is for those individuals, well, then it's happened. And it just didn't happen the way we assume it is, and we're in this period where it's going to happen more so. But ultimately, I just want to say it this way, Jesus isn't wrong. And Jesus isn't wrong at all. In fact, Jesus makes a claim right after this that is so profound and so huge that C.S. Lewis is right when he says he's either crazy, a liar, or a lunatic. Or, or sorry, liar, lunatic, or Lord. Like he cannot be all of them. And so this generation talks about this season happening again. It, it would seem to me it's easy to say, well, if a fig tree is going to show its thing, the army's coming in. It was speaking maybe to AD 70, and whether or not that was the destruction of the physical temple as a precursor to what will come of the temple later on. We learn now in the New Testament that, that we are the temple. The followers of Jesus are the temple. The temple does not exist in stone or wood. So there's a, there's a number of beliefs in that. But ultimately, all of this has to be viewed in light of what is being spoken to the context of those individuals there. And so, so every single disciple in that area would have heard, okay, here's what's happening. The lesson of the fig tree. There's a fig tree here. The season comes. We're going to see it coming. It's going to happen. And then Jesus goes in. But concerning the end times, 
No one knows it. Not even me. And then he goes into this unique story, and this is where I want to kind of camp out today, since we made that first part really, really clear, right? He goes in this story where he starts talking about Noah. And, and this, is, this is unique. He says, he says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two, two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So Jesus ties a very, very clear understanding to every single person in that setting of what it looks like for the, the, the coming of the Son of Man. He says it's going to be just like when Noah happened. Now, if you remember your Old Testament story of Noah, he built a ship for a really long time, and everyone thought he was a little crazy, right? And he built it for a very long time in preparation. Everyone's like, you're building a massive boat in the middle of dirt. Way to go, buddy. Like, this makes no sense at all. And what Jesus is saying is that people were, to that day of the flood, to that day when, when God's judgment came down on the people, people were marrying, they were giving to marriage, they were, they were going about their normal lives. They had no idea that all of a sudden rain would come and not stop and that that was going to be the flood and that this boat was in place. And so they had no idea. Now, the, the second where he talks about the two men in the field and the two women doing this thing, I don't believe that this is some idea of some, like, hidden rapture where they're going to come up. I think this is Jesus making a point that when he comes, there will be division. And this is, you got to hear this, church. This is really clear because I feel like in a, we got to be PC in everything we say and accept absolutely everything kind of culture. You need to hear this right now. Jesus very clearly says, I will divide. I will divide. There will be some that are going to be walking and looking and acting the exact same. But there will be different, different outcomes. You may look the part. The way that this would be said to modern day is two college students are in college and they're both nursing degrees and they're both doing their thing and they're both going that way and everything seems fine, but yet one of them will be in my kingdom and one of them not. Christ will divide. It's so easy for us to see, to think like, well, Jesus is he's so accepting and loving, which he is. But what Jesus is making very clear right here, he's saying that there are going to be some that are with me and some that are against me. And there is no middle ground. There is no, oh, I, I just kidding, huh? It's like we kind of want, it's like most of us want Jesus to come in his second coming and say, hey, hey, guys, about everything we talked about in the Bible, about obedience and following God's word and, and living for him and, and all that whole, that whole thing, just kidding. Come on, you're all welcome. We all know that that's not true, but we operate and act as if it is sometimes. And what Jesus is saying, and this is very important to get to the last point here, what Jesus is saying is there will be division. God's word is either going to soften or harden hearts. There's no middle ground. The coming of Jesus marks a complete and permanent division. Jesus makes clear that the coming of the Son of Man does not mean that all indiscriminately will enter into the joys of that day. Those who have chosen to live without God will find their choice respected when, they, when the great day comes. It will be the portion of the godless to be without God. We 
can't assume that following Jesus is a absolutely easy, everything, nothing comes from it and following it. Now, on the same sentence, I want to say this. You got to hear this. This is where it's hard. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've been, no matter how many mistakes you continue to make, you still have the freedom and the hope of Christ available to you. It's not, a, it's not a, oh, I messed up, so therefore I'm out for the rest of my life. No, 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 no. That's the beautiful thing about Jesus and, and God's grace is that his grace is, is sufficient and powerful enough for every single one of us, me included. And you're welcomed into that. But if you don't get the covering of that grace, if you don't, if you don't surrender your life to him as Lord, then you're not under that umbrella of his, his child who's cared for, and, and, and ultimately what Jesus is saying here is you're not going to be a part of my kingdom. And that's so hard because we love thinking of Jesus as our homeboy or our friend, be like, oh, come on, he's so easy, everyone wants it. No, like, Jesus is very clear, God's word is very clear. You're either with him or against him. Now what do we do in light of that? Jesus goes on and says, he says, but know this. So it's interesting, this is, a, this is a, an entrance to kind of a a parable that he's about to speak right here. He says, but know this, that if a master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house, he not, as let, not, have, not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So he says this very, very specific thing. If you've, has, has anyone ever been like robbed, something stolen from you? Were you planning on it? Okay. <laughs> Rarely. I did have a friend in high school that left the keys in his car all the time hoping it would get stolen because he didn't want it, but it never happened. Um, but but you, you don't really know when it's going to happen. You're not, it's, it's not like you, you really expect it or you're hoping for it. And Jesus is making this very clear. He says, when the Son of Man's coming, is very much like the thief in the middle of the night. You can be as prepared as you want, but if you're not prepared that one night, it's not going to happen. Now, if, if I told you tonight, and said, hey, tonight I'm going to have someone come and break into your house, my bet is that tonight would be the night you check every window, check every door, have yourself be more prepared. And then the next night maybe you do it, and then pretty soon you get a little bit more lackadaisical, and then who knows, maybe when you stop locking your doors again, that's when your house is broken into. And that's the point that Jesus is making. He's saying, be prepared. Be prepared. Then he goes on, and here's the parable. It says, who then, this is a question mark. Now this is, don't read into these roles too much, but this is, a, this is another parable that Jesus is speaking. It says, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant, is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So he's saying, look, he tells, he leaves his house. He puts this servant in charge. So the servant didn't actually have any authority other than the master saying, here's your authority. Feed the household. Tend to my household in my, in my absence. And he says, well, blessed. This, this word blessed isn't necessarily just like God's blessing, but it's like a happiness. Like, a, well, happy will he be? Happy will he be when, his, when, his, when this blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing, so doing when it comes. Meaning that the master would probably reward this servant for doing what he was asked to do. And he says, truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant, now we don't know who this wicked servant is, but he's Jesus bringing it up. But if that wicked, ser wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to, to beat his fellow servants 
and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and he will cut him into pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. Now, um, cutting into the pieces is, is, is a term probably more to mean like profusely beaten, beaten, not necessarily like cutting into pieces, but profusely beaten. And he says that this person, this person had a responsibility and, and, and squandered it. In fact, did the opposite. Did not just, not just do what was asked of him, but went the incomplete opposite way. And he's saying in this spot, this person deserves to be where Matthew defines it over and over again, the outer hell, the hell where, pleases, where, where weeping and gnashing of teeth occur. And so Jesus is using this parable with these two hypothetical situations, two people with this situation that makes complete sense to these people. Oh yeah, a servant, a household, leaving God, it all makes sense. And he's, he's saying, there's something about doing what you're supposed to do. Now, we're going we're gonna to talk a lot more about that next week, okay? So, so if you guys want to just take this, this servant's parable here, and just we're going to tie that one in to um, next week a little bit more. And then he goes on and says, in, verse, in chapter 25, and this is we're going to pick up. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now this is a really, really interesting parable that's very, very confusing. I don't think that we are to define what the oil is or what every little aspect of this parable is, but I do think there's something that this is very unique. In the Old Testament, whenever the bridegroom is, is, is said, God is the bridegroom and Israel is his bride. And so Jesus is, is saying a parable of the son's coming and he's identifying himself as the bridegroom. When I said earlier, there's a very bold thing that Jesus says. This is a massively bold statement for Jesus. He is claiming to be the Messiah, and he is taking the role as the bridegroom. And he's saying the bride. Now, what's really unique, and this makes sense, I guess, we don't know a lot about first century wedding ceremonies. There's not a lot of writings on it, and I think it's probably because everyone just assumed, well, this is what happens at a wedding. Like, we just kind of know it, and that's where it is. But there's not a lot of writing on it. We know a a little bit of details about first century writings, or first century weddings, but we don't know immense. We know that they were parties. They were festivals that lasted a lot longer than a single day. So if some of you are like, man, I want a week-long party, you should do it. It's biblical, okay? Um, but they would, they, would, they would do these, these celebrations. A lot of times it would happen with the groom, the bridegroom, and, and, the, and the bride with his family. And they would do some celebrations, some festivities, and then they'd go with the bride and her family and do some festivities and stuff. And then they'd come together in a ceremony. And it was usually done at night. Not necessarily midnight, but it was usually done in dark. And the, the idea of the lamps, these, these lamps would have been held with some rags and some oil. And if they were full, could have maybe burned for 20 minutes if they're full. So you, you needed extra. Well, there would be this procession that would happen at times. And so they would be the people, the wedding party, the virgins, we don't necessarily 
like know if they're part of the bridesmaids or like we have no idea what their role is in this. But other than that, their their role is to be a part of the procession, announcing the bridegroom's coming in and to be in place. And so they have a very specific job, a very specific role, and their role is to light the way for the bridegroom and the bride to come into the festivities together. So then Jesus talks about well how how there's this wise and there's this foolish. Well, he's using language to them makes complete sense. If you've read the book of Proverbs, you've heard wise, foolish wise, foolish, over and over and over again. And so Jesus is saying right now, listen, there's a way to be ready that's wise, and there's a way to be ready that's foolish. And in this setting, Jesus, in this parable, Jesus says that the foolish are actually kept out of the joy of the party. And I, I want to be clear, we, we hear wise and foolish, that word foolish is actually stupid, biblically, okay, just, you know, that's what it means. But when we, when we, when we hear wise and foolish, we think we can be smart and dumb and, and not enter into God's kingdom. Look, the dumbest of people, I'm one of them, can be in God's kingdom, okay? So, so it's not an intellect level of foolishness. It's a lifestyle of foolishness. It's a lifestyle of, of um, foolishness, which is living opposite of God's ways. The wise person surrenders to God's ways. In, 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 the, in the Proverbs, we always hear about lady wisdom and mistress folly right? Like there's, a, there's the one or the other. There's the wisdom that's enticing the, the individuals, calling the individuals to follow in that way. And there's the, the folly that's calling them to follow in this way. In this setting, we don't know why. Jesus says that there's five that are wise and five that aren't. Just an even number. Again, don't look too far into those things. And they, they had a very specific role. Light a lamp. Doesn't seem like a, a really, really hard one. But what's unique about the story is that both of them fell asleep because the bridegroom was delayed. I think there is a massive statement in that right there for us today in our local church. The bridegroom's delayed. We, we look at our world and we look at our lives and we are so busy and infatuated on some of the things that are around us, but if we just, just for a second pause, look back and kind of take in the landscape, any, any person that, that has a, a slight love for Jesus can kind of go, man, I, I kind of wish he'd just come and finish this. Maybe before November, this whole political thing's a nightmare, right? Can you just, you know, like, right? We, 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 we honestly long for that. Both of the virgins, both groups of the virgins fell asleep. Did you notice that? Like, both of them fell asleep. But at the end, one of the group of virgins is in celebrating the joy of the feast. And this is what I think what most of us don't understand, is that when Jesus comes— when he shows up on scene, however it looks, whatever your ist and ism view is, however he comes or whatever place it is, how horrific it may seem, when Jesus sets up on shop, when he's in place and he's ready to do things, there is going to be a massive, amazing celebration for those in his kingdom. A celebration that has nothing to do with the graduation celebrations you just had. A celebration that, that is going to bring more joy than, than having the, the little beautiful child that you just had. A celebration that, that, that makes everything combined pale in comparison to being in his kingdom. And I think the problem is that most of us, we're like, I don't know, I might have some other Friday night plans, Jesus. Like, you know, let me keep my options open. Like, we really view our walk with Jesus like that. And Jesus is making a very, very clear thing in this. I don't know if you picked up on it, but he's saying, be ready. Be ready. So, so what does it mean for you? What does it mean for Bren to be ready 
for Jesus to come? Well, I can pack a bag. I can put in plan a text to 911. I can get everything in place. But if I'm not going to follow that, if I'm not going to actually follow through with that, then what's the point of my preparation? It's the same for us. We can, we can profess to claim his name. We can, we can say, Jesus, I love you. And Jesus says a harsh thing. Like, some of us want to look into this and be like, why are those other virgins so mean to the other virgins and not sharing their oil with them? Well, in the setting, they probably wouldn't have had enough oil for any of them to proceed. So if they've had enough for two, they wouldn't have done, it wouldn't have been enough. Sorry, if they only had enough for one, it wouldn't have been enough for two. So then it would have been a bunch of dark lamps. Also, I think it's, it's probably worth saying that that I can't get to God's kingdom or understand God's kingdom by someone else's faith. I don't get to claim my, my wife's faith. But man, she's a rock star for Jesus. I'm good to go. Thank you. Same with you. You can't claim your spouse. You don't get to claim your old, man, my youth pastor when I was young. Oh, man, he was awesome. So that's why I'm in Jesus. Well, wait, who are, who are you? Parents, this is, this is a lesson for us to learn to our kids, right? And we should train them in the way they should go, but we don't get to control the outcome. If you're hanging your hat on some statement that you made a long time ago that's never, ever shown any kind of preparedness for its second coming, never shown any following in Jesus' walk, then you have to ask the question, like, are you ready? And so here, here I want to I ask this, and this is going to sound really harsh. I, please, let me, let me ask the follow-up question, too. Are, are you following Jesus? Like, are you, are, you, are you really, like, I'm following Jesus? And I'm not talking about, I struggle to follow him in all of his commands because we all struggle, and that's where his grace is so beautiful. Like, are you following? Like, is your, is your life about him and his purposes? Or is your life about you and your purposes, and you just tag his name every now and then in a hashtag? And follow us up with, here's the best part, guys. Some of us probably are going to say right now, man, I doubt so many things. I don't, I don't even know, like, I don't even know what I can say is true in the Bible. I'm really wrestling with this chunk, and I, I kind of get this chunk, and I don't know about this chunk. I'm not talking about doubt. Doubt is okay. In fact, we have a bunch of biblical cases of doubt. Look at John the Baptist. We have all sorts of cases of people that have actually doubted Jesus is who he says he is, or, or have doubted or wrestled with the truth. Read any of the Psalms. Man, doubt is okay. I'm not talking about doubt. What I'm talking about is a surrender to him as Lord in your life. And you know how you see this? And this is, there's no other way to see it. You see this in your stuff, your time, your relationships, your money, your words, your thoughts, your actions. You see it across the board. I want to be really careful to say this. What do you... What are you putting off till tomorrow? If I was to say, okay, today we need to get prepared. We're going to go on a hike to, you know, Table Rock. And this, is, this is a little hike. So everyone's like, oh, okay, I can handle that, right? What, whatever. Like, what are you going to do to be prepared? Like, if, if every single person would have a different role in what they would do to prepare. Some people are like, man, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to run it because that's a slow hike or that's easier. I'm going to do this. And everyone would kind of get their preparation. I'm not saying that everyone's preparation is supposed to look the same. We'd all get to the top of Table Rock at some way or another. Some of us a lot more efficiently than others. So I'm not saying that your life needs to look just like that person's life and that person's life needs to look just like that person. No. 
the sanctification process that Jesus promises will happen in us is going to happen in an individual level, just like our faith is on an individual level tied to community. So, what have you been putting off? Here's a question. This is a great question to ask you college students that just finished finals because you've been putting everything off for a week at least, right? What have, what have you been putting off? I'm going to do this for Christ when and you've been putting it off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him my life in this way when and you keep putting things off over and over again. What are you helping, hoping someone else will carry you through? I'm just hoping I can get through on my wife's, my wife's faith. I just hang out with all these people that love Jesus, and so therefore I feel like I'm better. Jesus calls us to be prepared. We have to be very clear, careful about this. This is not a works-based faith. This isn't a, I need to do more stuff. Some of you doers in here are like, oh man, I gotta get busier. No, 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 no. He doesn't say be busy and know that I'm God. He says be still and know that I'm God. And so some of you, it's, it's actually diminishing things around you that are keeping you so busy that you can't actually know him. You can't hear his voice because there's so much noise around you. But, but what is it that you're not prepared? So for me, we're going to have another kid in August. I can tell you I'm going to pack a bag with that shirt that I'm going to be glaring at the whole time like it's going to happen, right? But I'm going to do it because I'm called to be prepared. And this time I'm going to try and follow through <laughs> on that preparation. But the same is for you and the Lord. Jesus is coming back. His promise is coming back. We have got to hang our hats on that promise. We also got to hang our hats on the fact that when we're with him, it's going to be better than anything we've experienced in this world. And some of you, that's, that's a harsh thing to deal with because you're like, I like a lot of things in this world. I like this and I like this and I like that and I want all these things in place and I don't know if I can really handle the idea of not having that and just having Jesus as if that's not enough. His second coming is, is going to happen. And it may happen tomorrow. It may happen before the election. It may happen 400 years from now. Who knows? In fact, let me tell you, no one knows. So stop believing the minds and anyone else that's trying to claim it, okay? No one knows when the time is coming. We don't know when that place is happening. Jesus doesn't know. The angels don't know. So let's not be foolish and follow people into thinking that it's coming because, well, look at the political climate or look at this aspect. Instead, let's be ready. And I'd love to give you a list of 18 ways to be ready. And here's your list. Check it off. I, I don't have it. But you know what? God has it in you. He's communicating to you. Some of you, it's, it's right now, he's saying for you to be ready for me to come. It's, it's to find your hope and identity in me. Stop looking into this other stuff. Some of you, to be ready, it, it's literally, he's, he's called you to do something. He's called you specifically to do something and you are, you are being disobedient right now because you're like, I don't want to do that. Time to surrender. Maybe being ready is just continuing as you are, guys. Maybe that's where it is. But ultimately, what Jesus is saying in this whole area right here, when I come, I will divide. And in that division, the ones who are ready are the ones who are celebrating. The ones who are not ready are the ones that are going to see the celebration from a distance and not be welcomed in. And that seems so harsh. And I want to say this very clearly. If you have professed your faith, if you have acknowledged him as true and king in your life, like he, you, are, you will never 
leave his grasp. He has you. Doesn't matter how much you mess up. Doesn't matter how many mistakes you make. His grace is sufficient for you. All that being said, he still calls us to obedience. This isn't a, oh, I can just do whatever I want. Who cares? What matters is being ready, being prepared, being wise, thinking ahead, realizing that a crisis is coming. Something is going to come, and sooner or later, and that if you don't make preparations now and keep them in good shape in the meantime, you'll wish you had. Like, ultimately, you'll, you'll wish you had in that setting. There's been a number of times, if you've been on a vacation where you've forgotten something, oh, man, I really wish I would brought that toothbrush or whatever it may have been, right? Like, you've, you've, you've been bummed. Well, well, this is a little bit bigger deal than a toothbrush. The band's going to come up, and we're going we're gonna to worship, and I'm going to end it with some prayer. But before I do, I, look, there's, there's so much information in this text right now. Like, I mean, so much information in this text. So many different things that we could easily go, okay, all right, you got my attention, God. I need to be ready. And, and we could today, you know, whoever it is, college junior, graduate, okay, this summer, I'm going to make it about him. It, it's not, <laughs> it's not just this summer. I think that's where we get in trouble. Some of us say, okay, tomorrow and from here on, I'm going to make everything about him. It's not just it's not just tomorrow here on. It's, it's my life is about him and his purposes and his wills. This means that, yes, this does mean that there's grace for when you mess up, but this means that we choose out of love of Christ to stop walking in disobedience. This means that we choose to stop giving over to drunkenness like the, the servant was doing. Or this means that we stop giving in to the things that God says specifically. This is not the way I've called you as my child, as my co-heir in my kingdom to live. So align yourselves to this. So yes, there is a, there is a doing in this, but I, I hope it's coming out of the fact that you're, you're being with Christ. In fact, here's the best part, guys. I'm going to make this any less clear. Everything we do, we do it by his spirit that he gives us through surrender to him. So it's not my strength that does these things for him. It's not my willpower that can obey him. It's him, it's me surrendering. It's me being incredibly weak so that his spirit can be incredibly strong. And surrendering to his spirit, who's, he is going to lead us into following Christ, into living for him, into being prepared. And maybe some of it for us is just a little bit of a mind shift. Where we got to go, okay, you know what? Why don't I want him more than this stuff? And most likely the reason, I'll give you just kind of the cliff notes, most likely the reason is that stuff is an idol. And you didn't know it was, and that sounds really hard, and I get it, but, but ultimately that thing is more important to you than God. And, and God says very clearly that he is to be first and foremost. In fact, Jesus uses the term of the bridegroom and says, I'm coming. Celebrate me. Celebrate me. Heavenly Father, we... I confess, God, that, that, that your, um, we've made a mess of some of your words, God. And I feel like at times it's so easy for us to get lost in the day-to-day -day stuff. We get so busy doing things. If we can just finish that, if we can just move past this, okay, once this happens, I even find myself, okay, when our, our next kid comes, this is what we're going to do. And we try and make all these preparations about stuff and things that have little to do with your kingdom and your purpose, God. 
I think there is, is, is joy in knowing that both the wise and the foolish virgins fell asleep. I mean, life still does go on. Me making preparations for another child isn't evil. Me making preparations for our future isn't evil, but God, me making no preparations for your second coming is not what you've called me to live, how, you, how you've called me to live. And so I pray for every individual in this room. I pray that they would um, maybe spend half of the time thinking about their own future and the other half thinking about yours. And God, as we, as we look at our own future, I pray that you would, you would weave into our future the things of your kingdom, your purpose, your mission, your love, your call. Yeah, there's a lot of ways in which we can pretend to be ready, and then there's just being ready. And I feel like the, the fine line in that, God, is not to be busy in being ready, but the fine line is actually more along the lines with understanding that, that maybe it's just a desire. And Lord, I do pray. I pray, come back. Not because I don't like where the avenue or the state of our, our country or this world is, not because I'm tired of kids disobeying, not because I'm just tired of working, but God, I want you to come back because I want to celebrate you. I want to be at that feast. I want to be in your presence fully without the brokenness of my own body surrounding you. And God, I thank you that you've given us that hope, and I pray that that's the hope that we live in as we look at what it means to follow you in, in light of your coming again. Um, even as we dive next week into looking more about what we are to do, God, I pray that this doesn't turn into some kind of self-help, get busy doing stuff. Instead, it invades our hearts. And we are more captivated by your love, more captivated by your truth, and your words are fresh to us, God. So for every individual in this room, I pray that you would speak. I pray that you'd move and I pray for those that continue to put off tomorrow, that you would, you would give them confidence and strength to engage in it today. And maybe that's complete disobedience. Maybe that's just denial. But God, I pray that you would not allow us to sit in our own brokenness anymore. And you'd continue to make us whole and new and finish the work that you started. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.